So Heatbit is essentially an at-home electric heater that mines you Bitcoin. You can think of, you know, a nice Dyson heater, for example. Uh, so Heatbit is very similar, with the only difference is the, the heating element is the, the Bitcoin mining chips. The economics of the whole thing was, was great last year. Now Bitcoin is down and then mining difficulties up. So last year, um, Heatbit would be earning three, four dollars a day. Now it's about a dollar a day, maybe even slightly, slightly less. One big thing that we worked on was the noise. Uh, and there's a lot that went into it. The, the cost of power for the mining for Heatbit is essentially zero. So when, like, like I mentioned, if Bitcoin price goes down, while other miners will have to turn off, Heatbits will keep working. Not for us, but for our users, right? So I think that that's a pretty strong advantage. Alex Busarov is the founder of Heatbit, a company building an electric heater that mines Bitcoin. In our conversation, Alex explained exactly how Heatbit's product works. We discussed whether home heating could be a potential avenue to introduce millions more people to Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. We discussed whether Heatbit plans to integrate Lightning Network payouts. And then we got into the vision and the roadmap for the company. Alex is asked to have his share of today's show splits sent to the Human Rights Foundation. So if you enjoy this episode and if you learn something new from it, the best way you can show your support for the show and the Human Rights Foundation is by sending in sats over the Lightning Network. You get to decide how much. You get to use whatever podcasting 2.0 app you want. There are dozens of them, but my favorite is Fountain. Before we get into the show, just a quick message from our sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage, and Voltage is building the Lightning Network Infrastructure Toolkit built for engineers. Today's show is also sponsored by Stackwork. Stackwork is a lightning-powered transcription tool that takes the best of AIs and humans to create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. We'll have more from Voltage and Stackwork later in the show. Alex, welcome to the show. I am so excited to talk about Heatbit and all the work you're doing there. I saw this product on Twitter and it was making the rounds on Bitcoin Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago, and I had to bring you on to ask all the questions that I had about it. But before we get into the details of the product and exactly what you're building, why don't we step back and give listeners an introduction to you? And you can start maybe by telling listeners about how you first discovered Bitcoin. Um, well, first of all, thanks for, for having me, for inviting me, Kevin. Um, um, I actually first invited Bitcoin when I just um, started working, which was in 2008. Um, funny enough, I was born on the same day as the white paper was published. Um, as in, we have the same birthday, uh, not the same. Oh, okay. <laughs> not that, I'm not that, that young. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember it was the, the financial crisis and people, were, you know, it was, it was kind of tough. And I just started working, so it was kind of like, yeah, I already had a job. Um, and I remember hearing about it in the news and, and reading about it. Uh, uh, and first it had this kind of negative, um, publicity, right. Kind of with kind of negativity around how people used it or, you know, presume negativity around it. Um, and that's how I first learned about it. Uh, I didn't have any, any, any at that time. And then fast forward, I, I came, came fully into crypto in 2017. Uh, it was actually my dad who started talking a lot to me about crypto. Uh, and for my, my first reaction was, as I think it's probably a reaction of many people, it was pretty negative. My first reaction was like, come on, dad, that sounds like a scam. Like, why, why are you talking to me about this? But then, you know, as, as we kept discussing it, I, I started learning more and more. And, you know, now I'm, 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 I'm working in crypto and I'm, I'm full on crypto uh, and on, on, on Bitcoin, right? especially running the, the Heatbit. Yeah, so so you're you've been full time for the last five or so years, and and your first interaction with it though was a few years prior. Um, my first uh, the first time I actually used Bitcoin was 2017, uh, but first time I learned about Bitcoin, kind of heard of it, and kind of re read a little bit about it was 2008. Wow. Okay. So this was back when just when the white paper was released. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember seeing it on some, some news, strangely enough, it, it kind of got caught by some report. I don't even remember, remember what the news source was, but yeah. Interesting. 
Um, and then, so, so talk me through uh, why you decided to build HeatBit. Um, well, it's, it's, it's kind of a life story. Um, um, I actually have a lot of background in, uh, in energy. Uh, my first job was in, in a consulting firm. And as the consulting job, I did a lot of projects in energy. So kind of, kind of understand how energy works in production, generation, transmission. And uh, back in 2020, that's when HeatBit started. Um, uh, I was in China and the COVID started here and uh, I was under lockdown. You know, we, we were the first ones to be in, under a lockdown and kind of the rest of the world follow. Um, it was kind of getting boring uh, and I was thinking, so I bought myself a toy uh, and that was an Ant Miner uh, S9K just to play with. I, I kind of liked this, you know, hardware, digital stuff. Um, and uh, I remember turning it on in my bedroom and thinking, wow, this is so loud. Um, I have a few cats that just ran away. I was so scared of it. Um, and it got really hot very quickly. And then the idea came pretty quickly. Well, you know, if we solve the, the noise problem, it could actually be a, a very nice heater. Um, then I started speaking to friends and then I, I saw people kind of getting excited about the idea. Um, and yeah, I think the idea was born sometime in, in March and really started working on this just a few weeks later. Right. And so maybe for listeners who aren't familiar or who have not seen your guys' stuff on Twitter or on your website, can you share a high-level overview of how the heat bit works and some of the technical specifications? Sure. Um, so heat bit is essentially an at-home electric heater that mines you Bitcoin. You can think of you know, a nice Dyson heater, for example. Uh, so heat bit is very similar with the only difference is the, the heating element is the, the Bitcoin mining chips. So um, in terms of uh, the, the overall kind of feel of the device, um, it's less of a Linux and more of an Apple. So it's kind of, there's, there's one button that you press to, to make it work, right? So it's more for, for the mass market. Uh, and more specifically on the specs, um, it's uh, 1.4 kilowatt of power. So same as a, you know, any regular heater that, that you'd have um, uh, at home. Uh, it gives you 14 terahash of uh, mining power. And some people get confused with it, but it actually, it doesn't use any extra energy for the mining. So if you take a, a normal heater, um, normal electric heater, it would be transforming 1.4 kilowatt of electric power into the same amount of energy just in the form of heat. Mm. Uh, so uh, HeatBit does the same. Uh, it's just the way of transferring the from from electric power to, to heat is through mining Bitcoin. So uh, it kind of does two things at the same time. Yeah. And so are there any efficiency changes when you think about the two ways of transforming electricity into heat, uh, yes. th those two you just mentioned, like what does efficiency look like uh, for both approaches? So uh, if you talk about uh, efficiency is a very broad term, right? Um, if you talk about efficiency in terms of converting electric uh, uh, energy into uh, heat energy, it's close to 100%. It's close to 100% for a usual heater. It's close to 100% for, for heat bit. If you so take, that same amount of electricity is generating the same amount of heat at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. roughly. It's, okay. It's it's the laws of physics, right? The the energy doesn't really go anywhere. Um, so that's that's basically how it works. Um, if you take a broader view of efficiency, uh, if you look at the efficiency of Bitcoin mining, um, this is where Bitcoin mining doesn't really have to be consuming any extra energy. And this is, I think, the, the beauty of the device that, that we've built is the, um, the if, if you take just um, Europe, um, uh, North America, and a small part of Asia, uh, just the residential electric heating takes over 600 terawatt hours of electric energy. Whereas Bitcoin, now people talk about 200 terawatt hours. So... If you, if you, you know, think of these numbers, you quickly realize that m m most, if not all of Bitcoin mining could be done 
was just heating. And then we mm. wouldn't have any of this negativity from the environmental viewpoints and, you know, and the, the stuff that we've been hearing a lot recently. Right. And then when you, you mentioned the, the specs, uh, the device inside of the heat bit is generating is a 14 terahashes, I believe. Yes. And so how do you, how does that compare to the existing ASIC miners that would be on the market for, for, for a Bitcoin miner today? So it's the same as an ASIC miner that you would have, um, uh, four, four and a half years uh, ago on the market. So as a, as a miner, heat beat would be an outdated miner. So as a miner, heat beat is not, not great. Um, so, uh, currently the miners can pull hundred, 120, some 140 terahashes at twice the power consumption though. Um, uh, but that's, uh, that's kind of important for us to, to, to distinguish here, whether it's, it's really a heat or a miner. Um, mm -hmm. the, so let, let me describe it this way. When, when people ask us, oh, can I use your, your heat bit, uh, can I use it in summer? The answer is normally, well, you can, but it's a heater. You shouldn't use it in summer. Uh, mm. Right. So um, the uh, difference that we make here is that um, for, for our users, because they need heat anyway, effectively, the cost of energy used just for mining becomes zero because they would spend the same electricity to get the same heat anyway. So they get this Bitcoin at effectively zero cost of power. I understand it's, it's a bit conceptual, you know, what I'm describing, but it's, it's, a, I think very important to frame the, the thinking, um, uh, this way. Uh, whereas, you know, when you do mining just for mining, of course you have to pay that extra interest and deduct that from whatever, um, mine earnings that you've got. Um, at the same time for us with, with Hebit, it doesn't really make sense to use the, really the latest chips. Because those chips um, are expensive. So mm. if you have a very high cost of capital, if you have very high investment into those chips, you really need to be utilizing them the whole year. And you don't do that with a miner. So for us, it really makes sense to not use the latest generation of chips, but the, uh, use the chips that are slightly outdated so that the cost of capital would be cheaper. And we, make, we could make the device a lot cheaper as well. Right. So how does how does the uh, price of the device compare to a standalone heater that is not mining Bitcoin? Uh, depends what kind of heater you take. You know, if you, the, the, there are heaters that are kind of 50, 60 bucks, but those are not really good quality heaters. I think we are a lot more comparable to a high quality Dyson. Um, so in terms of the, the features, in terms of the, the, the Wi-Fi connectivity and, and things like that. And the, those Dysons go for $500, $600 uh, a piece. Uh, and Heatbit is uh, just over a thousand. Um, so effectively you get all this mining capability for uh, about $400 extra. Makes sense. Now, is it, I want to hear more about this distinction between, you know, building a mining machine and building a heater. Like it seems like those are two different things and that this product by combining the two i wonder if if there's any worry that you you don't you don't build the best mine or you don't build the best heater and you're building this kind of like product that's in between is that is that something that people are looking for is that people right because like i i know there's a group of people who want the best miner i know there's a group of people that want the best heaters is there a group i guess of people that want the uh, a miner that is also a heater um, well, there is people buy, uh, right? People were buying last year. Uh, the economics of the whole thing was was great last year. Now Bitcoin is down, and then mining difficulties up. So last year, um, heat bit would be earning three, four dollars a day. Now it's about a dollar a day, maybe even slightly slightly less. Um, so yes, people do like it, but they they don't just buy it for for the earnings um, from. The discussions with a lot of our customers, many of them buy uh, because they want to be involved in the community. They want to support the network. Um, there is the economic effect that I was talking about that, you know, essentially the this kind of mining doesn't consume any extra energy. 
Um, so with all the positive environmental energy impact, uh, but at the same time, it makes it a lot more distributed. You know, we, we, we may have gone the wrong way with, you know, this, uh, huge warehouses, uh, hosting thousands of miners. Of course it, you know, comes together from the economies of scale, the price of electricity is low and, you know, that, that's why it went that way, but with using heating for mining, the cost of power goes to zero, like I was describing. And not only that, but it also becomes a lot more distributed because everyone is just mining a little bit. And the kind of comes back to the vision of really having the distributed mining that, that supports the network. Um, right. Th that's why people buy, sorry, it's a bit of a long answer. Um, so people do want to, to buy and we've established that we actually established that, uh, back in 2021 in February, we ran an Indiegogo campaign, uh, that ran for a week. Th this is kind of a, um, a bit of a clash with, a, um, the, 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 the standard financial world. We kind of started the campaign where I asked Indiegogo if, if it's okay to go ahead. They're like, yeah, yeah, sure. That's fine. Uh, one week into, into the campaign that was actually going very successfully, um, they shut us down where we asked them, you know, what happened? They said, oh, uh, it's, uh, it's crypto, it's get rich quick scheme and, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, our Indiegogo campaign was shut down, but at the same time, we've got to prove that people actually want it. So. It was it was good news for us. Now coming back to whether we're building the the best miner, miner is a very different product. Miner is an industrial device. For a miner, you want something that is small, so it doesn't take too much space. You don't care if it's loud, so you get ASIC miners that are extremely loud. Um, at eighty decibels, they can actually damage your hearing, um, permanently damage your hearing. Uh, um, you want something that consumes as little power as possible and gives you as much terahash as possible. Um, and you kind of balance all of that out with a heater. You want something which is, uh, safe, uh, heater consumes a lot of power and there's always a risk of fire, etc. So, um, we actually did all the tests, uh, according to the. UL and CSA uh, standards for US and Canada and plan to do it for the, for the CE, for the European uh, standards as well. Um, so you want something that is safe. You want something which is convenient to use. Um, so quiet. And that's what we actually worked on a lot. Uh, and only then you want something which um, has all this positive economics between the um, power consumption and the, the amount of mining that it does. Right, so the the priorities are slightly different between building a heater that is also a miner and a pure industrial miner. Mm -hmm. So for so I, I hear the argument that there's this like altruistic component where some some users may want to decentralize the network and kind of make mining more decentralized, and um, uh, I hear that and I and I I value that. I think there's an important that's an important feature as well. Um, but for those who don't feel that way, or those who are purely looking for a heater, um, is the is the right way to think about the trade off here? How much am I spending extra beyond what I would typically spend for for the Dyson the Dyson comparable you mentioned? And how much could I earn per day? And, and hope that those that the how much I could earn per day is higher than how much extra am I spending up front? Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah. That's that's if you want to think in purely economic terms, that's actually a good way to think about this. Uh, we sometimes get compared on on Twitter. You might have seen it as well. Some people say, "Well, it's it's just an old miner um, at much higher price." Uh, well, not quite, right? You um, you 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 still need to to make it look nice. You still need to make it quiet. You, there's there's a lot of things that you still need to do to um, make it a good heater. Um, but if you want to think of the in 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 the in purely economic terms, I think what you described as is a good way of thinking about it. Right. Okay. And so right now, you, I believe you mentioned that the heat bit last year was earning up to three or four dollars a day. Now it's about a dollar a day. 
So if, you're, if your delta there for the upfront cost is $400, the expectation would be that if you can earn back 400 days at today's prices, uh, you break even on the, on the purchase price. Is that right? That will be now, uh, that'll be good, yeah. Now, uh, one thing that that Bitcoin mining has in its favor, and I guess this this goes, uh, it works against Heatbit, is that the hash rate is always going up, almost relentlessly. It just tends to go up, 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 up. Uh, how sustainable do you think it is for for someone to to use a Heatbit today, expect a dollar a day, um, a year from now, what if you know, maybe that's, maybe that's only 50 cents or 30 cents or how, how do you think about um, making it economically viable for someone to use a heat bit when they have a set piece of hardware that is not, that is becoming a smaller fraction of the overall mining capability of Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. um, well, there's two parts to, um, to the answer here. One is um, we, we do plan to make the, the heating unit replaceable uh, and upgradable so that um, one time comes when we are ready, um, we can uh, let the users have more efficient chips inside the same device. Um, so uh, that's going to help to, to keep up the, you know, the economic benefits of, of the heater. Uh, so that's the first part. Second part is um, Hibit does have um, an interesting benefit uh, when price of Bitcoin goes down. So with with general mining, you know the the industrial mining that has to pay the electricity price. If the price of Bitcoin goes down, they have to turn off mining because it becomes uneconomical. And every miner knows, every industrial miner would know the the price of Bitcoin at which they break even. If it goes lower, they start losing money. Uh, for Heatbit, once you have the device, uh, there is no such price. If Bitcoin goes down to a dollar a Bitcoin, you can still keep on mining because you still need it for, for heat, right? You still mm. need your heater, you still need the heat. You'd still pay that electricity anyway. And whatever Bitcoin or SaaS that you get on top, you get on top. So um, in that sense, uh, during the the downturns, uh, there is this additional benefit that you get that you actually, um, relative to other miners, you you you're doing slightly better off. I see. That makes sense. Um, now, is the device so? If, if someone's listening to this, thinking about purchasing one, is this device available for purchase today? Yeah, uh, at heatbit.com website, um, we. Um, we deliver, we focus on North America, so United States and Canada, but we deliver to Europe as well. And how long has it been shipping, uh, the device? Uh, uh, right now, the, uh, uh, the shipping takes, uh, about 10 days, uh, but the container is actually on the way to ship nationally from, from the U S and then it's going to be taking two, three days only. Oh, okay. Well, I was, I was talking about like how, how long has the device been in production for? Ah, uh, sorry. Uh, it's been in production for the last three weeks or so. We had a main batch, and then we had the first kind of small early batch, um, just to test things out. Was in the beginning of October. We actually started selling last year, um, and this is when we really saw that people really liked the the stuff. Um, but we had just just really really bad delays in uh, producing the device. We had the delays with certification then the, the supply chain problems, then at some point the, the COVID and the restrictions in China were, were a problem. So we planned to ship the device last year, uh, but then it kind of got delayed and delayed and delayed. Then it got to like April this year. And then in April, we thought, well, what's the point of shipping a heater to in the Northern hemisphere in April? People not gonna use it in May and over summer. So it took some time to kind of develop the device further and then you know start shipping now. Makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, so now I want to get into the idea of operating a heat bit in a home uh, rather than some industrial setting. Why, why was the choice 
made to because because you could do you could have built a heater for industrial settings you could have built you know have have a bunch of miners connected to some uh piping system that pipes in heat uh why why did you choose the you know end consumer as the target audience here rather than like technically you could be distributing mining power throughout a bunch of different factories and industrial settings um and a lot of people do that actually you know there, there's a lot of companies that do the the heating and combine the heating and mining for the industrial settings so the, the kind of settings that you're talking about uh, and I think that's fine. I think they're, they're doing a great job. Um, I heard a lot of people do that in, in Norway and maybe in a few other places. Um, and for us, the reason we've chosen to make this device for the for the home, uh, I, I, th I think the, the initial reason is that just our imagination worked this way. You know, we're, we're people. We want, uh, I, I bought the first miner just to play with as a toy, right? And then you kind of start thinking of, of this and ma imagining it as, as your own heater. So kind of, you know, that that's what you build. Um, we did think about building more of an industrial version, you know, the kind that you're talking about. But the uh, what we realized is that we don't know what exactly to build in. Um, you know, what should be the shape? What should be the size? There's multiple different standards in different countries. And you get that wrong and it doesn't work, right? Uh, you you kind of you, you you make it I don't know one inch wider than the standards, and then that's it. It doesn't fit anywhere. So we thought, why why take that risk and why you know pick a segment like that? Let's just make something for for people, something that they would like. Um, and that's that's why we went that route. Uh, I can't say that it was easy because then you start start thinking about all sorts of things like. Oh, what's what's the temperature of the output that you can have? You know, can we have the air that's at ninety degrees? Well, no, because it's kind of too hot. And then if you put your hand there, or if you have a child running around and they 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 touch it, and the surface is let's say at hundred degrees, they're gonna get burns. So you think, you know, what's the first surface that you're gonna have that you know not gonna get too hot? And basically all those all those features that you start thinking about. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and then and then also the the noise, right? How how do you put in the work to make sure that this device was going to be friendly for someone in a home. Like, as you mentioned, a kids not going to burn their hand on it. It's not going to be too loud to annoy everyone. What were some of the engineering challenges that you guys faced uh, in building that? So how, how you do that, I can tell you that's blood, sweat and tears. Seriously. <laughs> I, I, when I was starting that, I didn't realize how much, how much detail goes into every um, every device that that we have at home, it's it's um, I, I couldn't imagine how much that is. Um, for us, uh, the design was important, so we wanted to make it look good, um, and people kind of like it. Um, uh, one big thing that we worked on was the noise, uh, and there's a lot that went into it, from the the overall enclosure and the shape. Uh, so if you if you have a if you imagine a miner, you've got just a miner and you've got two fans on the sides completely outside. So whatever noise they make, it just goes there, um, goes, goes to, to the room. Whereas for us, the, uh, the miner and the fan, they're kind of inside an extra enclosure. So that kind of covers, uh, already, um, then the whole thing inside it's, is actually placed on, uh, vibration dampeners. Uh, so, uh, at first it used to be a spring, then we replaced it with uh, rubber dampeners. So essentially the, the fan, when it works, it generates the vibration that generates the noise. So if you have this vibration dampeners kind of dampens the, the noise and the vibration, uh, the fan itself, just the shape, the power of that fan, um, is something we've worked on uh, a lot, finding the right fan, finding the right supplies to, to make the fan, um, very, very quiet yet very powerful, uh, was another big thing. Then. There are other things like multiple layers to um, to to cover the noise uh, and things like the sound insulation. You know how you um, you you probably seen those uh, studio uh, music recording rooms, right? In the studio, yeah. there's, there's like special shape on on the walls. So we have that inside Hitbit, so that also consumes some of the noise. And as a result, you get uh, less than forty two decibels uh, of noise at full power. Um, probably wouldn't tell you much. It, if you 
if you compare it to to normal AC, uh, heat bit is actually quieter than the AC that I got at home. Um, mm. It's probably quieter than a fridge, right? It's it's pretty quiet, and that's at full power. Uh, at nights, if you you know don't want that much heat, you kind of put it at lower power, and then you can sleep right next to it, and yeah, it does, doesn't disturb at all. So, what is forty two decibels for uh, for someone who is not familiar with? decibel yeah. metrics what, what would that be comparable 42 to? decibels would be like a quiet library you kind of okay. hear a little bit of, no, of the noise most of the noise that you hear with heat beat it's actually the the friction of the air coming out of the device there's like um a, a filter um and then when the air comes out there's friction that's creating and that's what creates most of the noise mm. now i i don't know if you remember this product uh there was one a while back that was there was a company building i believe it was called coin mine mm -hmm. uh they had like i think it was a coin mine one was it was like this yeah, PlayStation kind of device and it I, I haven't heard of it in a while i don't think the product worked out i think i think the company is i believe the company is no longer operating um, but I, I believe it was this like PlayStation style device and it was, it was exclusively a minor. It wasn't meant to be a heater. Um, what do you think went wrong there and how do you guys iterate to make sure that, you know, it, cause you're operating in a similar segment where it's like a consumer facing application. Um, yeah. What went wrong with that? And what did you learn from, from kind of their missteps to, to design HeatBit? And, and build the way you have? Uh, well, I don't know what went wrong there. I can only guess, right? So uh, I actually heard from one one other person that uh, they're no longer operating. Uh, I guess I guess it's true. Um, well, from what I understand, their approach, uh, what they were selling was an easy way to mine crypto. So that was more of a uh, of kind of kind of like a toy, right? So you you buy something and then you've got this a miner that's just easy to set up so you know you could play with similar to how i bought my first uh miner you know uh mm. I, I was more to, I, I wanted to play with it i wanted to kind of you know play with an ips and and, and play with different software and etc uh, whereas they made a device that is easy so that's you know you could buy it for your kid or you could use yourself i think it was kind of cool um but that's where uh, that's where it ended right there wasn't much more to it whereas what we make is something that a lot of people need a lot of people have heaters there yeah. are uh, you know a 10 billion dollar market for uh, for home heaters you know people buy heaters and the question is you know what kind of heater do you want to buy you know you can buy a normal electric heater or you pay a little more and you get a heater that mines Bitcoin. And, you know, even if you're not from the, you, you don't understand Bitcoin, or maybe you're not really interested in Bitcoin, then people will start thinking of this as some sort of a cashback that they get. In mm -hmm. fact, we, we might even turn it into the functionality within the app that, you know, if people are not into Bitcoin, they might, you know, just, just, just get fiat back. And depending on the price of electricity, that's just going to be um, a discount on on the power bill from uh, any anywhere from just a, a five ten percent discount if your your tariff is very high to fifty eight percent discount if your power is a bit cheaper. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor. Voltage empowers engineers with the tools to integrate Bitcoin and Lightning Network payments within their business stack with an enterprise grade experience. The team at Voltage is building the complete tool set so that you can do more than simply spin up nodes, but you can also understand and interpret your nodes data. Their new product Surge gives engineers the ability to quickly solve problems and optimize their operations. With node insights and visibility through time series data, you get dynamic and complex insights that were never available before. You can get complete control of your Bitcoin and Lightning tech stack with insanely fast onboarding, advanced client-side encryption, and zero management infrastructure to make backups, networking, and upgrades simple. Get a free seven-day trial today at Voltage.Cloud. Now, I have to ask about uh, an idea that has been on top of my mind since we started this conversation, and that is the Lightning Network. <laughs> you mentioned that, that users are going to be earning potentially a few dollars a day. It's a pretty small payment. It's something that is 
possible to do on chain today, but not, but you know, not necessarily uh, in the future if fees if fees get higher. Um, have you considered allowing people to stream these payments over Lightning? Definitely, definitely. Actually, um, we, we had a we, we had some thought about that some time ago, but I was really thinking about this um, quite a bit in the last few days. Just the idea somehow popped up, uh, and I thought, well, you know, it would kind of really make a lot of sense for our users. So um, I think we uh, we're gonna put it on our product roadmap, uh, but right now we just have so much work to do uh, to you know br bring the heater to. Uh, to the market, deal with all the bugs that that come up, and I think for the next season we should have it. For this season, I don't think we will have the Lightning Network yet. So before, until Lightning is integrated, what what does that flow look like for for a user? If they're earning money, do they have a withdrawal limit? Do they have when does it settle? What what's that time frame look like? Okay, so um, you remember how I mentioned that um, what we decided to build was more of an Apple rather than Linux, right? So yeah. we we really build we really try to make it easy uh, for the users, um, and that does mean that uh, we take some of the steps that are not necessarily considered that kosher within the, the Bitcoin community. So um, uh, when uh, when the Bitcoin is mined, it's mined. Uh, in a pool, we use nice hash right now, um, uh, but we do plan to add um, other uh, mining pools so the users could basically choose the pool that they're mining with. Um, nice hash was just the had very good API, and that's where we picked to to work with them. Um, and uh, uh, then the Bitcoin, uh, once it's mined and we can get it out of nice hash, it goes to uh, BitGo, the the custodian. So we don't custody any any of the Bitcoin ourselves, and it's just not what we do. Um, and then on the user, that's what kind of happens at the back. Um, and then on the user side, um, they see the mined Bitcoin in the mobile app, in the Hitbit mobile app. And then anytime they want to withdraw it, they input the wallet address, press the withdraw button, and it's done. And that's at any amount? Um, there's no limitation on the amounts, and there is no KYC. Um, KYC is not really needed for the for anything kind of financial here because the amounts are relatively small, right? We don't have people transferring millions. Uh, you kind of need to buy a lot of heat bits and you know uh, mine and heat into the same account to start transferring millions. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's there's no issues with KYC. Plus, we don't didn't want to create this kind of additional barriers for the users with the, with the KYC. Right now, when you're thinking about uh, adding Lightning to the roadmap, what is it about Lightning that is most interesting to you? Is it the potentially lower fees? Is it the instant settlement, privacy? W what is the thing that you think users will most gravitate to? I think our users, so um, because our users are more of, you know, the, again, people who kind of prefer Apple rather than Linux, though, they are the people who like the the convenience um, and uh, the, the speed and the low cost are going to be the major factors for them. I think privacy will be one of them as well, but I don't, um, I would guess that would not be at the top of their mind. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. I may be wrong. Let's let's see. Maybe, maybe people will tell me I'm wrong. Let's see. Yeah, that's fair. Um, okay, I wanna I wanna dive into um, the heating industry overall, and the you know, does it make sense for everyone to be using some kind of to, to be using Bitcoin mining as an input for heating like how how far can this idea be extended you you're doing it at the home level there's people doing it at the industrial level um why is everyone not doing it i guess uh well one it takes time uh we we do hope that a lot more people will uh, uh heat with mining uh, uh bitcoin and we're kind of working towards that right um uh in terms of uh Extending it on our side, we not we, we plan to not just have the heat bit, but build 
uh, other heating products for water heating for floor heating maybe moving a little bit towards not the industrial scale heating but more of the devices that you use at home but you don't necessarily see right i mentioned the floor heating mm -hmm. so that's kind of where we plan to go in terms of our um, set of products and the kind of products that we want to build um, answering your question um, why why is it that everyone is doing heating with with mining one it takes time and i think it's definitely going to move in that direction um, and two it kind of depends on the infrastructure if someone um, if someone has uh, a heat pump already installed they might really make sense to use it right heat pump is very expensive to set up right so there's a very high upfront infrastructure cost but then once it's there in terms of the uh the energy used and the heat output that coefficient is actually great for heat pumps right for electric heating it's kind of one-to-one -one, pretty much whereas for heat pumps you you use the energy to compress the air essentially right um and it's it works in a similar way like a fridge just in the reverse right so it takes the, the heat from the atmosphere so for unit of energy spent on kind of compressing the air and doing all that process you get several units of heat um and heating efficiency is very high so in a lot of places that solution will make a lot more sense um mm. but then you have some areas where investing into uh, a very efficient heating solution doesn't really make that much sense like uh, we had orders from spain and greece you know you think well you know these are southern countries and it's it's sunny and yeah it is sunny it's very hot in summer but in winter it does get a bit cold uh, and then you need a bit of heating but then you don't have the the full heating infrastructure that you would have in the scandinavia right so then you use electric heating and then when you use electric heating using the um, distributed computing or Bitcoin mining starts making a lot more sense. So when you talk about the heating infrastructure you might have in Scandinavia, uh, maybe that's the same in Canada, where it, are you talking about like natural gas and things like that, that people might be using alternatively to heat um, their homes? Yeah, people use all sorts of things. There's natural gas. Um, sometimes you have something called uh, district heating or central heating. Right. So um, very often uh, it's used a lot in Eastern Europe, for example, you have power generation. Um, so when you generate power with uh, gas, uh, there's a lot of heat that's being created and you can reuse that heat for for actually heating. Mm. Right. So that makes a lot of economic sense. Uh, but then still the, the world uses a lot of electric power for heating. Uh, I, I think I mentioned you know, 600 terawatt hours that that's being used for it. And, you know, why not use that for, for mining? Mining is right now, Bitcoin mine is just a third of it. Right. Okay. So, so you see a future, is it fair to say that you see a future where all the electricity or all the energy that is used to heat someone's home or, or heating in general, um, that will be used, that will first go through Bitcoin and it'll be miners that generate the heat and then pass it on to the end consumer. Is that the idea? Um, I would, I would say that's the direction where it's going to move. Uh, I don't think it's ever going to get to hundred percent, uh, because after all, um, uh, just, a, a, a very cheap, small, um, electric heat is still going to be uh, much cheaper than using, using the silicon chips to, um, to mine. Uh, so that does have its own advantages. But I think a, a big part of heating is going to be done with the chips. Um, so that's going to be Bitcoin mining or maybe other distributed computing applications. Mm. What's that? Uh, if you can play devil's advocate and mm. uh, let's let's steel man the other side of the argument. What What is the argument for never using any Bitcoin mining chip and just using your heater as it is today and you know, not, not even being affiliated to Bitcoin at all. What, what's the benefit there? Um, I think there's two arguments. One is uh, just the usual miner is probably going to be cheaper just mm -hmm. because the chips have their own cost. Um, uh, and two, if you believe that, uh, uh, I'm being the devil's advocate here, uh, if you believe that Bitcoin is snake oil, then yeah, you probably don't want to support it, right? So I think that's, that's the only second argument that you'd have. 
Mm, okay. So mostly like the, the upfront cost that could be lower if you're just buying a regular heater. Um, and you know, you may not, you may not want to upfront, you know, put up an extra $400 for the heater, um, just to get it back down the road. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, that's a model that we employ right now, right? So we essentially ask the users to put up that, that money upfront. Uh, what we do want to do, um, in the following seasons is, uh, trying to find the financing solutions for it so that for the user, it will be, uh, you know, they could buy a Dyson heater or they could buy our heater. And then maybe we'd just split the, um, the Bitcoin that's being mined to, to cover that additional cost that the, the chips entail. Mm. Would that ever be, would, would a subscription plan or something be in the works for you guys where someone can offset the costs upfront and just kind of like have a monthly bill like they would if they had, you know, natural gas heating? We already, uh, we actually already uh, have um, installment plan uh, available. Um, I'm not sure if it was on the website today or on, on all the versions of the website. But yeah, people already can pay uh, uh, slightly less than half of the price of Heatbit and then the rest is being paid uh, in, in monthly installments. So that's something that's already there. Uh, but we want to take it a step further and essentially uh, kind of go hand in hand with our users on on mining. So essentially, we could be taking part of the uh, mining rewards to actually cover that those additional costs. Um, that's in mm. the works. That's uh, that's something for the future. Right now, we yeah. Uh, by the way, a lot of people ask us whether we we'll take any any commission or you know we will shave every anything off. Uh, what's being mined and the answer is no, we don't take anything. Hmm. Now, mining is a ruthless industry and there's been, you know, it's famous for having low margins and a lot of, a lot of large miners are, are under financial stress today. And some have, you know, we've seen some go under in the past. It's not a, it's not an industry where you find people building moats and like protecting their business and like no one can compete with us. We're, we're Apple or we're Google, right? Like it's very, it's cutthroat. Um, how do you, how do you foresee uh, Heatbit building up its business and protecting itself and, and growing over time uh, where all, all the, the pure mining businesses don't have that, you know, staying power. They don't necessarily have that competitive moat. Do you have one at Heatbit? Um, so if you compare a Heatbit to the, the big mining operations, then I think it's, it's just the cost of power, right? The, the way that the, the cost of power for the mining for Heatbit is essentially zero. So when, like, like I mentioned, if Bitcoin price goes down, while other miners will have to turn off, Heatbits will keep working. Not for us, but for our users, right? So mm -hmm. I think that that's a pretty strong advantage. Um, if you think of uh, other competition that we might have from other firms making devices similar to Heatbit, well, that's natural, right? It's 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 great that it's going to be happening. It's I, I would be very happy to see some some other people making similar devices, other devices for slightly different use cases. I think it will only grow the, the industry overall. We do have some um, uh, patents uh, on the device. Some we already got and some are still, um, uh, we only applied and kind of wait, waiting to get the, the patents themselves. Uh, but I, I don't know if it's, it's, if it's really the, the biggest competitive advantage that you, you, you can have. I think the biggest competitive advantage that we're having is being first, uh, understanding our users, understanding what they like, what they don't like, engaging with the users. Um, I'm actually thinking a lot about how to bring our users to be, uh, part of the company. How can I involve users in decision-making? How can I let our users and our community drive the, the product development, the company strategy, 
Um, and I think that's something that we can do while it's still so so early on. But then, you know, if someone like Google or um, or anyone else decides to to do that, they wouldn't be able to to do this kind of move. They wouldn't be able to let their users drive the product because mm. they're big companies. Whereas we can still do it. And I think that's where another big advantage will come from. How do you think you'll be able to use users to drive, you know, product roadmap and strategy? Like, what what do you do with users? How do you talk to them to to help them guide the product strategy for you? Uh, one is just listening to the users. Um, we have very proactive um, customers who ask us questions um, and tell us what they need. Uh, and actually listening to that, I think, is, is very important. Um, I, I actually sometimes play a role of, of a support agent uh, on our customer support. And that that gives me great insights into, you know, what people need, you know, how they think about things, etc. That's that's of tremendous value, I think. Um, and going forward, we, we're thinking of expanding these. Uh, these are kind of simple, you know, early on state steps. Um, but going forward, uh, we're thinking of creating, um, maybe creating a DAO where, you know, users could essentially um, do the voting, uh, propose changes and kind of really uh, manage small and then bigger parts of the company. Interesting. Uh, what, what would the purpose of the DAO structure itself be rather than users just doing it in, internally? Like if you have, you know, sending out emails to users and asking for product feedback, what's, what's the, or voting on some email, uh, what, what's the benefit of doing it through a DAO structure? Um, yeah, DAOs would allow uh, very different kinds of um, interactions. So if it's just an email um, and then people vote, that means that things generally come from us and then we kind of, you know, um, see see what people voted for. The value of that vote also becomes, ends up being not that high because it doesn't necessarily carry the weight. Um, if we commit, though, that uh, it's within the DAO, it's verifiable, people can see it, that, you know, the that's what they actually voted for, then we can commit to that vote carrying the weight, right? Let's say, we'll say, well, we spend X on the product development and how about we spend half of X on completely user-driven decisions, right? Of, of course, there's there's going to be the, the pros and cons and kind of economic balances that, that, that you need to have within that. So say, well, this is the budget that, you know, this is the amount of money that we have that we can spend in developing the next version of Heatbit. You know, how about how about our users decide what is it that they want, and you know, we'll be the ones to build it for them. Mm. That's interesting because I I've gone back and forth on this issue of I, I hear a lot of um, of discussion, especially in the crypto space, about like giving users you know governance or giving users the ability to make decisions, and I've gone back and forth a lot on it, and I don't. I'm not sold either way, uh, but I think one you know argument just to push back and present a case for the opposite side is like uh, if users had good ideas and were you know if, if users had the answer for you, would they be your users or would they be your competitors? Like you know what? Why would they not go out and build build the solution themselves if they have? They have the ideas, um, and I, I, I wonder that I wonder if DAOs and this like decentralized governance structure, where you don't really have to do anything other than be a user to to contribute, it. I wonder if it lowers the bar for ideas, and and now there's no barrier for someone to present an idea, which can be a good thing, but it can also be like can also just flood you with just like bad ideas. Um, so I, I wonder how, how do you think about that distinction? Like adding new, adding anyone to the to make decisions for the company, it could introduce uh, a lot of a lot of people to the decision making process that never would have been able to get a seat at the table, um, and and that could be a good thing or a bad thing. But I, I'd love to hear your your take on that. 
Um, well, let, let, let me just play that back to you. Uh, so if let's say we went the old school way and we said, hey, how about we have a form on the website with the suggestions on the product? That's when you start getting thousands of emails with thousands of ideas and very few of them are actually something we didn't think about. Uh, and very even, even smaller number of them would be good ideas, right? So, uh, and that's kind of problematic. And on top of that, it's hard for us to really filter and judge all of those ideas, whether, you know, people really want it or, you know, whether someone's just randomly thought about this or really or, or been thinking about this for a year, you know? Um, but if you put this into uh, an open discussion and you put certain constraints constraints on well, how about guys, we come up with, let's say, five product ideas, because you, you have to have some limit. And once you have, let's say, five product ideas um, that uh, that have been voted for by the, the broader community, then uh, what we could do is um, try to uh, uh, define those ideas further um and put the price tag on implementing them price tag in terms of the, the budget that we as a company would need to spend on it right and essentially maybe the we could do idea one or we could do ideas two three four and five at the same time right and then and that we could still put to a vote you know which one is better um hmm. you see what i mean i i see what you're saying yeah i i think the um where I get caught up on on some of this stuff is like when the decision making process is is delegated to the community. When I, I I take the stance, I think now that the decision making should be coming from the decision makers who are the product makers and and the people who have decided to get together to build the company. Um, so I I do I feel a bit um, unsure about the the value still generated by a DAO, but I do hear your, your, your view that, um, you know, you want to open it up and make more, give people more ability to make decisions. And I just think, I, I think the, the final step of who makes the final decision is an important one. And that's maybe where, uh, my view diverges with, with others in the, uh, in, in the governance space. I think um, I, I've heard a lot of these discussions on, on crypto uh, as well. And I think what I would not do is I wouldn't go straight all the way to, oh, users just make all of the decisions. I'm a bit afraid that it's not going to work. Uh, but taking it step by step, seeing kind of how it evolves, kind of moving it slowly towards um, maybe more and more of users playing the role in the development of the company, uh, I think we can get somewhere. I, I think you, you can't just make a, a huge step and say, okay, you know, you guys just decide everything. That's not going to work. Um, mm -hmm. At least at first, you know, the idea had to be born. The company had to be born. You know, we, we had to invest our own money first. We are, we are fully self-funded bootstrap right now. Um, and we had to make those commitments to, to make it work first. Um, but as the organization is developing, I think it could become more and more uh, user-driven. Generally, um, uh, what you see with companies is they become more and more investor-driven, right? So you would have the original founders, then you have some of the early investors, maybe some funds, etc., who kind of have big chunks of the company, and then it goes to uh, a stock exchange, and then you have thousands of different investors who collectively make decisions, Um about the company, but then that's where you run into a certain um, uh, certain struggle between the the investors who want to make more money uh, and the users who want good products, and they don't necessarily want the same things. Um, but then, if you have that a lot more mixed, if you're users are also your investors if your investors are also users and then they're the ones running the company then it comes to, kind of starts to create um a, a, a collectively kind of sound uh sound decisions uh and i think step by step we should be able to move there yeah that's interesting um one one final counterpoint here to the 
to the idea that like the investors for public companies, the investors are, you know, making a lot of these decisions, especially at the smaller scale. Uh, I think I think Google has different classes of stock. They have like a voting class and non-voting class. And the the two classes trade almost identical to each other. And I, I think to myself, like, what what is the value of voting at Google if both versions of the stock trade at the identical price? Like one, you get governance rights, one you don't, and they're both priced the same by the market. Uh, it makes me think like at, at, at least some level that the governance decisions actually don't matter for, for a lot of the smaller investors. Maybe this is different if you're a BlackRock or some, some big fund, but. I, I see, uh, I, I think you're making a very good point. Um, though, what I would think is one, I, I don't know, I, I just don't know if there was much of a culture of user-driven decision-making for Google. From what I know, you know, here's the product, you use it, right? That's, that's kind of how I use Google products. I never played any role in, you know, affecting the, you know, how Google develops their products. Well, maybe I did, but I don't know about this. But that's a different story. <laughs> uh, uh, but what I'm talking about, it's not necessarily the value for for the user, right? To to your point, that it trades at pretty much the same price. Uh, I think that's the value for for the organization. The organization should value this because this this is just a, a lot. Pe companies talk about the feedback loops, right? They create a product, they get feedback from the user. Here, we're creating just a lot more involved, a lot more intensive feedback loop. You can think of it that way. I see. That makes sense. Um, okay. I want to wrap this up and jump into a segment I do at the end of every show. It's called the lightning round. And I got a few rapid fire questions for you. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Just a quick message from our sponsor. Stackwork is a lightning powered platform for generating high quality transcripts of all your audio or video content. They combine AI engines and hundreds of human workers all over the world who are paid over the Lightning Network to assemble these transcripts. And that's what lets Stackwork create better, faster, and less expensive transcripts. To see the results for yourself, I use Stackwork on my personal website where I transcribe all of my full-length podcast episodes. Check that out. And if you want to learn more about Stackwork, visit stackwork.com. That is S-T-A-K-Work.com. If you could only invest in one asset for the next 10 years, and it could not be Bitcoin, what asset would it be? I'd probably buy some gold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's old, it's slow, but mm, see, see, seeing how much inflation we've, we've been having recently, I think that, that would be a, a sound investment. Okay, second question. How many heat bit devices will you guys sell in 2023? Uh, we think in seasons. So we've got this season, which is 2022 and part of 2023, and then next season. Oh, I uh, see. The winter season. Got it. So, uh, well, this season, I really want to sell a few thousand. Nice. Um, are there any books that have meaningfully changed your view of the world? Um, yeah, it's actually my, my favorite view. It's, it, it meaningfully changed my view of life and of the world, I guess. Um, it's the, the book by author is uh, German Kesse, uh, and it's an I Indian story called Sirdhartha. Oh, okay, uh, interesting. Um, and then final question for you. Uh, if you can give a shout out to one person in the Bitcoin ecosystem who is doing great work, who would you like to give a shout out to? I don't really know. I see. I see. I think this is much more of a collective mind. Uh, I, I just see so much, so much drive and people kind of supporting each other. I think I wouldn't. I wouldn't shout out to to one particular person. To be honest, I would. I would just give the applause to the community in general. Uh, that that's been supportive, and I see it from our users as well. All of our users are Bitcoiners, and. Uh, well, can't say that, that Bitcoiners maybe, but they all have some Bitcoin, kind of they understand what it is. And I, I just see just this support that you get, people really trying to help. And that that's amazing. 
Okay, one final follow-up then. Uh, what would you like to see more of from the Bitcoin community in 2023? Um, the discussions on where, how Bitcoin could be more than just money. I, I think this is where um, Bitcoin is lagging a little bit with um, just be, being more of the financial infrastructure and not just money uh, with the smart uh -huh. contracts and all of that. Uh, I, th I think this this is the direction that uh, we should be taking, and I hope there'll be more and more discussion on it. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat today. This has been an awesome discussion. Uh, where can listeners go to learn more about you and Heatbit? Um, well, they can go to heatbit.com, um, uh, our websites. Um, our Twitter is pretty active. Um, I think can learn uh, bits and pieces from there. And yeah, I think just these, these two will be good. Awesome. All the best with this season and uh, hope we can chat again soon. Thank you very much. In the last 30 days, you guys sent in 64,032 sats. That came in from 59 different supporters. Thank you to everyone who's been sending in sats. Uh, last episode, we got a lot of great uh, feedback from, so I'm just going to read off some of the uh, boosts from the last week or so. Uh, Jeffrey sent in 13,720 sats and he says a wallet sweeper of a show as Kevin, both of you are doing great stuff. Keep it up. The show is fantastic. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for the kind words, Jeffrey, and for the massive boost. That has to be one of the biggest boosts uh, we've seen in the last little while. Olive Fox says as rocks, wish you luck and sent in 4,664 sats. Rad Vladdy sends a mind-blown emoji and a comment that says intriguing tech along with 2,450 sats. BTC Rich said amazing listen, very thought-provoking, off to read up more on this and see how I can apply it. Sent in 4,900 sats. Uh, and then Joe Martin Music sent in 490 sats, says unreal rip, can't believe this kid is just 16, blows my mind, the future is bright. Joe, I agree. I, I couldn't believe it when I heard it on the podcast uh, live. So uh, really excited to see what as builds. Uh, Ion497 says, great episode. This was in response to episode 72 with Vijay Boyapati. Uh, listen to that one if you have not already. Uh, great discussion on the evolution of money. I promise I have a lot more episodes coming up. Got three or four lined up, ready to go. So keep an eye out for the next coming days. Uh, and I can't wait to see what you guys send in.